Welcome to Neurodivergent Space Time. I'm your host, Sarah Schatz. I'm autistic and possibly ADHD. I'm also an author, artist, academic, and parent. This podcast is an experiment in creating a neurodivergent space. That means I won't be masking, I won't be performing different energy levels than what is natural at the time. I won't be editing to make myself sound more neurotypically professional or articulate. This is just me. So if you want to hear more about the neurodivergent experience from an autistic adult, let's go. Hello, so I'm back with another really casual chatty podcast because I want to let you know that we are crowdfunding a picture book about neurodiversity, specifically about sensory modulation. I am co-creating this book with my friend and fellow autistic and very talented illustrator, Gracie Klump. We have been working on this behind the scenes for quite some time, and I am super excited to finally tell the world that we're doing it. We're still in the early stages, so I'm just going to talk a little bit about the project, kind of like off the cuff so you can know about it. If you are listening to this podcast, that means that the crowdfunding campaign is open and we are taking pre-orders for limited edition hardcovers. Pre-orders for paperback will happen further down the line. I may talk about that later in the episode. Um, So look in the show notes for the details for that. Um, Or you can find them on any of our social medias, which I will also link down below. So yeah, this is a book that kind of auto-downloaded into my head. Now, I'm not saying that we aren't editing it and refining it and it's not evolving into something new, especially now that I have Gracie's input, like the scope of this book has kind of expanded beyond what I initially created. But the idea for a picture book that actually scientifically explains the reasons that autistic and neurodivergent people have different sensory experiences, that downloaded to me like one afternoon after I had sent my son to school. And I was really wishing that I had this book to share with them to communicate these things, both with the teachers, but also with other kids in the class. So the rough draft of that book kind of like just came right to me. It went right into my iPhone notes. Um, Actually, it was a different app. And so I have lost part of that. But I have part of that draft and I have the rest of the vision for it. Basically, I want to break down what the idea of sensory modulation is in a way that's really clear. And it can be read to kids. It's not like a kid, like the kid, I don't know, it's not an early reader. It's more of a read this book with an adult and you can discuss these things. Um, Or I mean, I'm sure adults could read this book and get something out of it too. I so I had this idea last autumn and I've been trying to figure out like I'm not an illustrator I am an artist so I was trying to figure out if there was a medium I felt comfortable illustrating it in or what I could do 
And then Gracie kind of mentioned on her Patreon podcast that she was going to take on one big project every month this year or every other every month ish. And I was like, wait a minute, if you have capacity for that, would one of those projects, would you like to team up and make a picture book with me? Um, because Gracie, I love her illustration style. I've been following her and supporting her illustration career for several years now and just... Yeah, so when she said yes, I was completely over the moon. And so my initial um, concept for the book was to communicate this idea of sensory modulation and also sensory supports, specifically like for families and teachers of kids that are autistic, have sensory processing disorder, ADHD, like any neurodivergent that has a different sensory experience. And what was really cool, like within like, I don't know, the first week of teaming up with Gracie, like she kind of like exploded this idea rather than the really narrow focus of like, this is for educating these specific people. The idea that everyone can benefit from this book, which honestly, I was completely blind to that neurotypicals can also benefit like neurotypical children can read this book and it can help them understand neurodivergent kids. It can also help them understand sensory modulation in their own brain. And so we went from like my first concept was like, okay, it's mostly going to be like a pretty small group of people that are going to want this book to when I brought Gracie on board and like I know how amazing her illustrations are I'm like everyone is going to want this book like if you like picture books you're going to want this book it is going to be beautiful I just know that so we're still in the concept phase as far as the visuals but already like some of the ideas that Gracie has brought on board I'm super excited about so I'm just going to talk a little bit now about sensory modulation. It might be something that you've never heard of. So I was diagnosed as autistic eight years ago. And before that, I was always just told that I was sensitive. And it really feels, it is often intended as a criticism, as if it's some kind of choice, as if like every human has the same sensory experience, and that my reaction is what's quote sensitive that I am having an outsized reaction for what is happening to my body um, I have had that from like medical professionals I have had that from like um, parents um, like as a child other parents uh, luckily my own family was very supportive of my sensory needs but outside of that nuclear family like the world just did not get it. And I can see now like we have made a little bit of stride, but there's still not that understanding of what's actually going on when a human is, quote, sensitive or having a sensory um, experience that is different than your own. So last year, when my son was also diagnosed as autistic, I went into this really deep dive on, on, how do I put it? Um, what was that book? It's basically, I read this book by, um, of course it's, it's blanking, but I will be sure to link to it in the show notes. But I read a book about occupational therapy and the different type of sensory needs of children is basically in a nutshell. Um, 
sensory integration and the child. That's it. <laughs> um, so I read this book about sensory integration because it's something that I had like a vague concept of. Like I knew there was sensory seeking and there was sensory avoiding. But I find that in online discourse and even in some of the other books that I've read, that those things are very simplistic and presented as black and white concepts when there is actually it's not just a spectrum between those two things. It's like a plaid. There's so many different nuances to this sensory integration and sensory, like the lived sensory experience of a human that I no longer believe that any one human is either sensory seeking or sensory avoidant. One of those may be more obvious because those are a little bit like countercultural, when it reaches a certain level, you're like, oh, whoa, that's, that's different. Um, Or I would find that highly unpleasant, and you're really loving it, you know. Um, Or I would find that pleasant, and you're hating it, you know, those are kind of the two sides of the spectrum, but it's so much more complex than this. And so when I read this book, Sensory Integration and the Child, it really went into that nuance for me, like, it's basically one of the first textbooks for occupational therapists and I didn't write any notes for this so like the um maybe it'll come to me later Uh, the author's name is has slipped my mind but it was one of the first people who studied sensory integration and the one caveat I have with this book as far as recommending it to others um first of all it's very expensive um very very expensive because it's a textbook for students and textbooks are expensive uh but also it was written in like the 70s and while most of the book like the science as far as the the research on sensory modulation and integration is really great but the it has a lot of outdated information about autism specifically like if you do go and read this book please either skip or take with a grain of salt the chapter on autism because it's working with really outdated perceptions of autism uh basically thinks that you have to be like um aggressive and nonverbal to be autistic. And that is just not true. And the new research is really showing that. So it would classify anyone who is not aggressive as just having sensory processing disorder and not as autism. But as we've learned, like since the 70s, that was a long time ago, the research has moved along. And I wish when they had republished this work, they had included a little more information about that. That's my one caveat for the book. However, Everything else in it, the whole book is about autism. The whole book is about neurodivergence and sensory processing. And it's, it's, it, it opened up for me and added so much nuance to my understanding of sensory experience in a lot of ways. But the thing that really, really clicked for me that I'd never heard of before is this concept of sensory modulation. And that's what we're going to dig into in this picture book. So sensory modulation is your brain's automatic process of turning the intensity of different senses up or down. 
This is mind-blowing for me. As a late-diagnosed autistic adult who was always told that my sensitivity was like a flaw and that I shouldn't be over, quote, overreacting to different experiences like water in my face or the seam in my sock or a tag in my shirt, like whatever it was, that it was my fault how I was reacting. And what we've learned when you take on board this sensory modulation is that when your sensory modulation is working in a neurotypical way, that a neurotypical's brain automatically tunes out certain senses that it automatically deems as unimportant. So let's say a neurotypical is sitting at a busy restaurant and they're trying to have a conversation They are probably not feeling the contact of their clothes on every part of their body. They are probably not hearing the hostess sort silverware at the front of the restaurant. They are probably not hearing the cooks having conversations in the kitchen. Every other conversation happening in that room, the buzz of the light bulb, the tapping of somebody's foot or hand. Uh, They aren't feeling like the crack in the cushion of the booth that they're sitting in. They may not feel how hot or cold they are in that moment. They don't notice the music that's playing. Like their brain can automatically either turn those senses down to a very low level or tune out completely any one or numerous of those sensory inputs. And so a neurotypical, when they go to a restaurant, they will hear most loudly and clearly the thing they choose to pay attention to. So there's a combination here. And I think this happens in language when they're like, okay, when someone tells you to focus on this, this is something that is more possible for neurotypicals, right? So they can kind of shift their focus to and from certain areas, they can be like, okay, I'm having a conversation. And their brain automatically assists in this by turning down. Now, if someone in the conversation says, hey, um, I think I know this song, do you? Then their brain will turn the music, the level of the music up because they've shifted their awareness. Now, for all my neurotypicals listening, this is not Uh, an autistic or neurodivergent experience. So everyone's brain is different and not like we're all unique. So if you had 10 autistic people, they would tell you 10 different experiences. But one thing that we have in common is that our sensory modulation, often we get way more sensory input than a neurotypical. And so we hear the sound of the light bulb sometimes, or we hear the sound of the silverware, and it doesn't melt away when we're having a conversation. And so just imagine like 10 different TVs on with the volume at 100 and trying to just listen to one. It is very, this is one of the reasons that we struggle with communication. So Um, that concept kind of blew my mind because it gave me a window into actually the neurotypical experience because one of the main reasons that autism can be misdiagnosed or overlooked is we think everyone is experiencing the same thing. 
And so I thought everyone was overloaded, that their senses were overloaded. And they were just better at, quote, focusing, because this is what we're told to do, is to focus on one particular thing. Now, I will say that it's not that... I mean, I can't speak for everyone, but for myself, it's not that I have zero sensory modulation, but my brain's ability to modulate senses is greatly dependent on my, um, on my environment, on my regulation. And so like the more overstimulated I am and the more that's going on, the less I can kind of tune certain things in or out. Like I, I have some limited ability to do that, but it's definitely not something I can count on always being able to do. And so depending on like at a restaurant, it would depend on how busy the restaurant is, how loud everyone is, If there's music going on, what kind of music it is, how hungry I am, like it's really complicated. But the thing that we want to explore in this book is just the simple idea that brains have this ability to turn senses up and down. And that for some people, these are the neurotypicals, that happens automatically and they have a very narrow sensory experience. And for some, that is either not happening at all, or it's happening, um, it's, uh, my words are failing me right now, because I'm more of a writer than a speaker. Um, But autistic brains are likely to get much more sensory input that is not brought down to a lower level of intensity. We feel things more intensely, like every single thing. Temperature, sound, tactile, taste, touch, sight, like almost, you know, everything can be more intense. Now, like I said before, every autistic person and every neurodivergent person is different. And so some of us have more sensory aversion to certain things. And this is what that textbook got into as well, is someone might be a sensory seeker when it comes to tactile, like they might love to touch certain textures, but they might hate or find painful. This is the thing about sensory modulation is one of the reasons that neurotypicals have sensory modulation is to prevent themselves from experiencing pain of like when something is such a piercing sound, they will just tune it out. And uh autistic might hear that so they might find certain sounds to be actually physically painful not just annoying um, and I think that's one thing that isn't really understood when we understand someone is sensitive that they have a sensory processing disorder we don't always understand that what's happening can sometimes be sensory pain like sometimes there's sensory overwhelm or overstimulation and that's one thing but there can also be sensory pain. And so there are all of these nuances within there that we want to dig into. And another thing I want to point out is that yes, having a very heightened nervous system that doesn't modulate senses as highly as a neurotypical. So you're feeling and you're experiencing the world in so much more visceral, tactile detail 
it's not all bad. Like, sure, there can be negatives. There can be time that it becomes painful or there can be time that it makes it hard to communicate or hard to hear. But also, like, in general, autistic people in particular, but also other neurodivergents are just soaking up so much more input from the world that we're literally seeing things that are essentially invisible to neurotypicals because their brains have automatically and without their consent decided that those things are not important. And that is one of the strengths of autism. And that is why so many autistic adults are begging the scientific community not to look for a cure. We love being autistic. We just would like when we say that something is hurting us, for that to be respected, and for us to for either our environment to be changed or for us to be allowed certain supports that can allow us to be in that in that situation or place or with that community without being in pain and with being able to understand and interact with that environment in a way that's accessible to us. And so after explaining sensory modulation in a much more concise and visually compelling way than my big ramble just now, then we're going to give some examples of sensory supports. And some obvious ones are like noise canceling headphones or ear defenders, sunglasses, like sometimes it's really simple. Um, Another thing that I learned in this book is that the sensory experiences that feel good to you are actually integrating, they can help your brain modulate. So this is where things like the fidgets come in. And for a neurotypical, it just seems like a distraction. But actually, fidgets and um, just different, you know, stems, like when an autistic might flap their hands or tap their foot, that's not um, really an expression. Uh, It's not like a communication tile style gesture it's a it's a method of self-regulation and it can help sensory modulation so like if an autistic is overstimulated they might flap their hands and that might help their brain turn some of the volume down or the intensity down on some of the sensory experiences that they're having so it's really important that we don't suppress stems that we offer sensory supports that we understand that fidgets are Aren't toys, they're focus tools. And sure, if you give a fidget to a neurotypical kid, they might find it more distracting. I don't know. <laughs> I don't I don't know the science on that, if that can distract them for their work. But the fidget is actually helping an autistic or neurodivergent child to focus. Um, so we're going to talk about sensory supports. And when Gracie kind of expanded the audience of the book to include neurotypicals, I think it would be really interesting, and it's not something I've seen done before, to explore the idea of sensory supports for neurotypicals, because your brains are automatically filtering things out if you're a neurotypical. And what if you want to hear more, feel more, see more? And some of that is more of a like, mindfulness, like actually bringing your focus to a thing. But like, for example, if you want to hear more, you can close your eyes and your sense of hearing 
will increase. You will hear more things if your eyes are closed, like there's science to back this up. And so we can think about this way. It's not that autistic brains and neurodivergent brains are broken. And so we need these supports. It's that our brains give us a lot. And if the a lot becomes too much, we need help to bring the a lot down, the intensity down. And that neurotypical brains have less to pull from. And so if a neurotypical wants to sense the world more deeply and to notice more things and consider more possibilities, because this also happens not just with sensory experiences, but like with problem solving, it's one of the greatest strengths of neurodivergence is that we can see more possibilities because our brain isn't shutting ideas down. And so I think something that I am in the ideation phase for how to explore is this idea uh, that a neurotypical can also have a sensory support. And what would that be? Like, how can we help neurotypicals feel more things? And then uh, something that's really important, because as autistic, particularly autistic people, we can have trouble communicating sometimes and autistic people are more likely to be able to pull up uh, a script or like a phrase. Actually, our language is developed in a totally different way that is based on uh, mix and match phrases rather than learning individual words. It's like it's a very fascinating. That's a whole nother podcast. But because of that, I want to make sure that throughout the book, there are scripts that we can use to communicate these things to people that may not understand. And the working title we have for the book is How It Feels to Me. And I think that if we can just have the readers come away with this idea that we all experience the world differently, and that when someone tells you what their experience is, to not invalidate that and to listen to what they need in that moment... And then sure, like neurotypicals can be overwhelmed and they can find sensory experiences painful too, but it's going to happen much less often and much less frequently. And if you can just this phrase of, okay, well, I know that you like that, but how it feels to me is this, or, you know, even just it. Yeah, so I'm really excited about this idea of ending the book with giving tools to communicate sensory differences and sensory needs. And not just for the autistic and neurodivergent kids to learn this, but also for the neurotypical kids. If they have an autistic friend who's finding it difficult to verbally communicate and they know their friend and they know they're in pain, they can say... We haven't worked all this out yet, but there's there are things they could say that can offer support, like, do you need your headphones or can can we turn the music down and being able to advocate for yourself and to advocate for other people when they need it. And obviously with their um, obviously you want them to be able to communicate first, but sometimes uh, it can help to have a friend like you might be. There are instances in my life where I've been trying to communicate my needs and they're not being understood. And so having a neurotypical friend who could jump in and say, actually, uh, this is a little bit too intense for Sarah. Like, can we turn down the volume like it's getting too loud in here? Or 
or you could even not say that it's for that. You know, we've got to work out the details of this. It's very much in the ideation phase. But I love the idea that we're empowering autistic and neurodivergent kids to advocate for themselves. We're also empowering neurotypical kids to advocate for their friends or parents to advocate for their children. And then in the back, we'll, I'm sure, put some resources where people can find more information and connect to community. And so, yeah, that's it in a nutshell. Now we just have to make the thing. So if you want to help us make this picture book a reality, you can hop over to Indiegogo. And I'm sure you could just type in Sarah Schatz, S-H-O-T-T-S, um, and it will pop up. But if you can click over to the show notes, uh, there will be a link there where you can support. And if you can't uh, pre-order or support monetarily right now, you can definitely help us by spreading the word. So you can share on social media. Um, actually, the best way, and I've learned this over time by doing a few different crowdfunding campaigns, is if you know one person who would really love this project, share it with them. Share it with that one person. And if you know five people who would really love the project, you can share it with them. But the more that you're taking the time to personally connect it to to an individual, and even if you have a moment to say, hey, like I'm subscribed to this podcaster, they're an autistic artist, you know, I think that this book is going to be really amazing. I thought maybe your kids would love it. See if you want to back this project. That's going to resonate a lot more than just hitting like share on Instagram stories. Now, I'm not saying don't share on Instagram stories, but basically the way it works is you have to see something a bajillion times if it's just on Instagram stories. But if you have a little bit of that personal connection and you can like weave that into telling somebody about the project, be like, hey, my friend Sarah is writing this book. This is an own voices book. Like we need more books by autistic authors and illustrators. Um, Let's make it happen. The more that you can make it personal and you can send send it to directly to a specific person. Um, those are the impacts that are the strongest. Um, but if you if you have nobody in mind, you can't think of anything, you can absolutely, uh, it never hurts to share it to stories or Twitter or Facebook or any of those things, especially because I am not on Facebook and Twitter and the TikToks. And um, if you want to share it on any of those media, it might be um, kind of expanding our reach, because I would just love this book to reach as many people as possible. We need a lot more understanding about neurodivergence and neurodiversity in the world. And yeah, I will really, really appreciate your support for this one. Um, I feel like I had one more thing to say, and it was related to this. It was related to the Indiegogo, and I've lost it. So I might come back with that here in a minute. But uh, if you have made your way over here because this podcast was shared with you, which is something else you could do if you found this podcast to be interesting, you didn't know this about sensory modulation, you could share this with a friend. And hi, if you're new, thank your friend. Um, Thanks to your friend for sending you here. Glad to have you. You can subscribe. This is a Substack podcast, but you can also send it directly to your podcast app. 
There is a transcript. I maybe should have said that at the beginning. Um, there's a transcript if you prefer to read, if you would benefit from that. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you can pledge. And the pledges for that go directly to helping support the cost of transcription. If I can remember the thing that just slipped my mind, I might pop that here on the end or into the show notes. Uh, but basically, thank you so much. I'm so excited to bring this project for bring this project to life. And uh, thanks for coming along on this experiment in unmasked communication. Uh, when I first started podcasting before my son was born, I would spend literally five hours editing a one hour podcast um just taking out the air like taking out every time I said um or ah and making us sound like super slick and professional uh but this is rough and scrappy and the air conditioner's on because that's what my body needs today and yeah I just want to thank you for showing up and for supporting uh neurodivergent creators if you haven't connected to Gracie be sure to follow Gracie over on Instagram and Substack. And I guess that's all for today's episode, but I will see you next time.